Let's start the show by talking about my sponsor, Paloma Verde, and their new website, PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out for all of your CBD needs. They've got the gummies, tinctures, the salves. So if you're needing anything to maybe chill you out, something to help you get mellowed out, something for your joint pain and stiffness, go over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and give them a check out. Carlos and Vanessa are awesome people. They run a great company. And if you enter the promo code FACTS at checkout, you'll get 25% off your order. Plus, any order over $75, you get free shipping. So, I don't know what you're waiting for. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out. Let's start the show. This episode will be completely taken out of context. Welcome to the Fact Check This podcast. All right, Fact Check This podcast, and today I am joined by the host of Peddling Fiction podcast, the guy that got me into all this bullshit to begin with and started the whole thing, and probably my wife's mortal enemy. <laughs> John, Johnny, introduce yourself. Tell, honestly, anybody that listens to my show probably already listens to your show, but just on the off chance that there are still two or three of my a dozen listeners that don't listen to you yet introduce yourself and then we'll kind of take it from there yeah well that's going to be that's going to be a tough introduction to top <laughs> i can only imagine what your uh, wife's going to say to me when we're down here in cellulita together but yeah i um i am the host of the uh peddling fiction podcast talk about politics current events and economics from a libertarian point of view and uh, yeah, I've been doing it for a few years. You've been helping me almost since the beginning, not quite right at the beginning, but you, you've been uh, pretty integral to my, my whole setup here. I, you know, I can't do any of this uh, technology shit myself. So I, uh, I, I don't know if I'd still have the show to this day if I didn't have your help. So I really uh, appreciate it. Well, thank you. Uh, what I've found is everybody who does podcasts, uh, they really like to talk and they have a lot to say and they absolutely hate social media and they aren't real tech savvy. So it's, yeah, God, I, I hate social media. It's like the, the, the biggest chore is to, I was like, all right, I got to go on Twitter. I got to tweet something. I got to figure out Instagram and all that. And now there's like TikTok and all this other shit. That's, that's uh, like our discord server, which I just got. <laughs> no, we, for anybody who doesn't know, we created a Discord server for the Peddling Fiction podcast. Uh, we, I say we, I, I created it, uh, gosh, six six months ago or, or maybe longer than that. And so Johnny finally joined his own Discord server and it only took six months. Yeah. And that's, you know, the funny thing is, because at this point I'm doing different levels of work for eight or nine different shows uh, which sounds crazy to say out loud <laughs> but that's what everybody everybody their big thing is they absolutely hate social media they're like i love doing the show i love doing all of that part of it but i don't want to take the time to go on social media and do all the posts and mess with all the the bullshit so i've kind of found my little my little niche there that I can just go do that for all the people who don't want to do it. And then they can focus on talking and, and doing yeah. the things they do. Well, 
Yeah. And it's, I mean, I'm sure, you know, from doing your own podcast as well, that it's just a lot of work just to put out an, an episode. There's a lot that goes into it. It, it doesn't really sound like it to, to the average listener. It's just like, oh, they just turned on this microphone and they just started talking for an hour. But man, try to do it sometime. Try to talk about one topic for just a few minutes when you're sitting in a room by yourself. And uh, it's a lot harder than it looks. And a lot of show prep goes into it. And then by the time you, you're done with all of that, it's just like, oh, God, now I got to do all this computer shit. And then, you know, on top of that, you have all of these platforms that are censoring you, kicking you off. Like as soon as I figure out YouTube, they're just like, all right, your channel's gone. <laughs> and so now you're constantly having to fi- figure out these new mediums to use. And it's it's exhausting. Yeah. The, the YouTube thing is some bullshit. Like. Did you did you see that they nuked Ron Paul today, like a, an hour or two ago? Holy shit! Yeah, I, it sounds like they brought it back because like people actually flipped out. Uh, um, the Lions like of Liberty, the Lions of Liberty channel is on a seven day ban for last Wednesday's episode, and there wasn't even anything bad on that. Like, no, that if if anything in that episode could have been construed as something that win against community standards or whatever the fuck they want to call it. It was very obviously done in a joking, like those guys just chatting and laughing about it manner. Like they weren't promoting anything uh, nefarious or whatever. It, it was, yeah, it, YouTube is some bullshit, which I've, I've been doing stuff on Odyssey and BitChute as well. Uh, they're both, they both have their, their pluses and minuses. I guess I need to, I just haven't gotten a lot of traction on either one of them. Like I know they're uh, popular platforms amongst like the the Liberty community, but I don't know how to, I don't know how to build any kind of following or, or really manage either of those sites just yet. They kind of like there, you know, there, there's ways you can do stuff with YouTube that you can, if you, if you do it right, you can hit those algorithms and it'll start and stuff will start popping up. I don't know how to do that on BitChute and Odyssey yet. Like they're, they're kind of their own thing. Yeah, you're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> but it was it was pretty fucking funny to see that they did the exact same thing to Ron Paul's channel. Like they didn't give him any warning or anything. It was just after se- repeated and severe violations or whatever, your and, channel is gone. And the fucked up thing about that, like, you get a warning, and your warning sticks with you forever. So <clears throat> it's kind of like they leave you with uh one strike for eternity like you you never the warning will never drop but then you get three strikes to uh before they nuke your channel and each strike drops off after a certain amount of time so if if you play it right you can always have two strikes and just be careful and your channel one of the strikes had actually dropped off like the week before so we only had one strike on the channel and and I didn't even think that the clip that I posted was all that like I, I don't I went back and listened to it a few more times after after they uh <clears throat> after they nuked the channel and I, I didn't there was nothing like nefarious in it. it. It wasn't bad. Uh there were other clips that were still up that were were way more uh violating <laughs> the community standards or whatever. But yeah. I think I, if uh if I looked at it right, I think what they did was they retroactively gave a strike on something else 
from like three months ago at the same time that they gave the strike on that one and which pushed it from one to three instantly. And like they just uh-huh. Thanos, they just Thanos snapped your YouTube out of, out of existence. Yeah, it wouldn't be hard for them to just go back and find stuff to give strikes. There should be a statute of limitations on that. <laughs> but, you know, it's I'm just I don't even think about I'm like, I'll, I'll say stuff. And I'm like, I guess in the back of my head after I said, I'm like, oh, they're probably not going to like that on YouTube or whatever. But I, I'm still going to say it. Like I don't know. I, I can't I, I can't be that guy or just like, all right, I'm going to tiptoe around this subject because other people aren't going to like it. Um, I'm just going to say it and I'll deal with the the fallout from it, I guess. And if that means less platforms and less listeners, I guess, you know, so be it. Well, speaking of saying things that people might not like, today we're going to talk about secession. <clears throat> but we're going to do it from a fun angle. We're going to talk about it from the angle of the Hunger Games. So did you have a chance to uh, to go back and kind of review or like look at any of the See, this is a point of contention amongst like Hunger Games fans anyways, is how the districts break up. Like you can you can do a, a Google search and pull up the Pan Am district map and you'll get like a dozen different maps of how the US or North America is like split up for for the districts of for the the 12 districts of the Hunger Games which is really interesting. And there, are, I have my own opinions of that as well, but uh, that don't agree with probably any of the maps that any of the people have made on that. Um, so did you have a chance to go back and kind of look at that and think about it? Uh, like the way that, that the world splits itself up in the, in the hunger games. Uh, you, you know, I put the Hunger Games on this morning while I was uh, doing some other stuff, some other work. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of these movies. I've seen a couple of them uh, once, maybe twice, I think was, was the second time through. And I, I'm going to I'm going to actually have to lean on you a little bit here because I don't really understand. I don't really understand how they broke everything up. So. What was interesting about that time? I'm, I'm going to nerd out for a second. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had my buddy Mark Metz on, and we were talking about his Substack and some other stuff. And <clears throat> roundaboutly, it led to, well, he, he does some like fiction writing in his Substack. And we ended up talking about Dune and uh, Isaac Asimov's Foundation, uh, because there's a new Dune movie coming out. There's a, they, uh, Apple TV is making a Foundation show. And so we were talking about like different fiction, fiction works that are, you know, that have come out. Wait, long, are you saying Doom? 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 Like D-O-O-M? Oh, no, Dune. Dune, yeah. Have you okay. ever heard of that? You no, know, I have no idea what this. You're not a sci-fi fan? <laughs> no, not. I mean, I, you know, I, I kind of like some of the stuff when I see it, but I don't, I don't seek it out. See, we're going to have to indoctrinate you into the, <laughs> uh, the world of sci-fi. So around the same time that the Hunger Games books came out, you had a whole bunch of stuff that was very similar. You had the Hunger Games, you had the Maze Runner uh, series, and you had the Divergent series. And then they all got made into movies, and they were all both good and terrible in their own right if you had read all of the books, which, because I'm a nerd, I did. And 
And so the Hunger Games, you know, it it takes the world that in this dystopian future where the people have basically risen up and fought against the <laughs> fought against the state and lost. And so now the entire, you know, depending on whose opinion you take on it, it's either all of North America or it's just all of the United States, which either way, uh, everything else is just like wilderness now. And so the only thing that exists are these 12 districts. And, and each of the 12 districts provides a certain service to the capital. Uh, which is, you know, basically, th- and the way it sets it up, and you can kind of tell by the way it's written, is the capital is, so- it's somewhere around, like, Denver. It's it's in Colorado. It's, like, in the mountains where that they have a highly defensible position for all of the head of the state. So then... So then it kind of branches out and you have all the districts and all of the districts are allowed to send or they get to send these two representatives every year for the Hunger Games where they fight to the death. And to remind everybody of. uh, Remember that time that y'all tried to rise up against us and we absolutely beat you the fuck down. Well, now you get to send two of your kids every year so we can let them slaughter each other just so you don't ever get any ideas about rising up and pulling some bullshit again. So it's very. uh, you know, we're we're probably about five to ten years away from it happening in real life. But but the interesting thing is the for me anyway, looking at where we are in society today, because there are, are a lot of conversations being had about um, secession. Uh, I think was it New Hampshire or Vermont? It might have been New Hampshire. Yeah, because that's where the Free State Project is. Um, put forth like state legislation to approve. Uh, so basically, it's going through the state house to approve voting for seceding from the United States. And then Texas has similar legislation going through. Um, South Carolina is always like just the flip of a switch away from trying to secede. I think there may and maybe not as strong, but I know there has been some mild push for that in Florida. Like the country's fucking breaking up. And and even before the 2020 election, like uh, the, the West coast, California, Oregon, Washington had been pretty open about the fact that if Trump won again, they were going to secede and become its own nation. So like, like all the, dumbass leftists that act like uh this is some redneck thing of uh you know people in texas and in the south trying to pull a uh a second civil war <laughs> california and oregon and washington were very very upfront about the fact that if trump won again they were going to leave the nation so it's not like this is exclusively rednecks that are are doing this kind of stuff yeah and we probably have to have some sort of like left wing push for it as well because otherwise you know the the corporate press is just going to bill it as like oh you know all these like redneck uh hillbilly backwards white supremacists just want to start their own society and institute slavery again and 
and yada, yada. But if you have like California on board and you have all these woke progressives into it as well, well, then it's just like, you know, all parties involved don't want this relationship anymore. And, you know, they don't want to be in the same country as, you know, uh, a Texas or a South Carolina or something like that. And, and vice versa. I mean, these people, they share no values together, like almost none. There's no common ground there from anything in their daily lives to their political views to anything. And they honestly just don't like each other. Like if you put them in a room together, um, they wouldn't have a lot in common. They wouldn't have a lot to talk about and they'd probably despise each other on a number of levels. And yet like we're all supposed to get together and salute this flag every, uh, every year. And it's just. Yeah. And that's what's really crazy about that is uh, which I, I like, I've talked about it before when, when talking about kind of the failures of democracy as a whole, like I'm, I live pretty, not real, real rural, but we're out, we're out of town. We're, we're in a little, little subdivision out in the middle of nowhere. We got farms and fields all around us and uh, we've got a big garden and, and all that stuff. And all of our neighbors do too. If you literally drive five miles East, you are in actual Evansville and it is very progressive and leftist. Like, Maybe not this side of town, but the further into town you go, the more it becomes a like deep blue zone. And and we're in like super red Indiana. Uh, the Republicans hold a never ending supermajority in the state. Like, uh, but you know, you drive seven miles east and you are in absolute progressive hell in Evansville. So like if it's that big of a difference on that much of a local level, how could they ever expect anything to work on a national level? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. And they've done just a tremendous job of perverting what the role of government was supposed to be for the United States. Like we had this idea of what the federal government was supposed to do and they completely fucking changed that. And now you have like one group of people who are like, Hey, you know, we want, what we said we wanted back in fucking 1776, not this new monstrosity that we have. And it's just, it's never going to work when you have people that have such a drastic idea of what government should be in your lives. Um, You know, some people want cradle to grave government intervention. They want you taking care of their kids, providing housing, education, healthcare, everything. And, you know, if if that's the way they want to go, that's fine. But trying to force other people to do that and to pay for it when they don't want it, it it's uh, I don't see how that could possibly be workable without, you know, uh, an insane amount of force, which, um, you know, I have a, a big moral problem with a lot of people have moral problems with that. And it's just you, you see how unworkable it is right now. Like this thing is just busting apart at the seams and it, there I it's not like there's going to be some great unifier at this point that can bring these two sides together. You have one group of people who, who think the others are like, you know, literally Hitler and the other ones are like, uh, one Actually, of murder babies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <you're> right. <laughs> it's, it's all projection, but yeah. And so like, you, you can't just have like, 
I, I don't know, like a, a John F. Kennedy get in there and like everybody, everybody supports it. Like we don't have any shared values anymore. We've drifted way too far apart. Right. And there, I, there I is no, uh, <clears throat> like there, there is no bipartisan voting anymore. Like everything splits right down the middle, almost 50, 50, pretty consistently. And, and like, I guess Obama was kind of the, the last Obama's first term was probably the last time that there was like a legitimately uh, electoral college and popular vote, like took the whole thing. I guess you can, you can say that about Biden, but there was so much around the election that. uh, Yeah. Who knows? (laughs) Right. Right. Who knows? And, and even if, even if, he did legitimately win. It was still by like the narrowest of margins. And there was still a huge, huge number of people that voted for Trump as well. Like it was, it was really close splits. It wasn't like it was a, a hands down, like this guy won. Like Obama's first term, for as much as I didn't like Obama, he, kind of captured people's interest in a way that he got uh, across the aisle support that I don't think any candidate will ever get again, period. Like, it's just, we've, we've reached the point of division that that's never happening again. Yeah. And he definitely had a lot of political capital coming in because, you know, candidate Obama said a lot of nice things, <laughs> Um, and, and people, a lot of people were on board with that, that wouldn't normally have probably voted, uh, for a Democrat, but, um, you know, eventually when, when he started to not get like everything that he wanted, it, he's, you could see, you know, like the vindictiveness come out and it, you, you know, he would just say things that were just like so flippant and, you know, he's like, oh, I have a mandate to do this now. And I have a phone and a pen and like, fuck you, I'm going to do this. And I, I mean, if, if that's what, you know, initial unified support devolves into, this is just never going to work. There, there's just no way you can give that much power to one entity and give them so much control over such a vast amount of territory and different types of people. You know, it, it could maybe it could work if the original role of the federal government was like kind of what it was supposed to be, where they just kind of, you know, like facilitate the United States dealing with like other countries and not, you know, telling you literally telling you now what you can do with your day to day activities and who you can interact with. Um, I mean, they, they, they've just they've gone way too far and. Yeah, oh, yeah. The, the whole system is a complete perversion of what it was intended to be originally. Like there's there's no way you can draw what we have today from the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, like any, anything like this. It, it is there's like you could probably go down through every everything on the Bill of Rights and like n- we wouldn't agree on it. Like right, you, right. you can't find people that are in, in favor of free speech anymore. Right. Like. So it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> or freedom of religion or freedom of assembly. It's like, it's gone. Like the first fucking ones are just, we, we don't have those in common anymore. Like we have completely different ideas of what that means. And um, there's, there's just no tolerance anymore. Like tolerance was the big thing that sort of 
you know, the, the unifying thing. Like, it's like, okay, you, you go ahead, do, do your thing. And I may not like it. I'm not going to like, you know, support it, but you know, if you want to go do that, that's fine. And I'm going to do my thing over here. And now it's just like, they, they talk about tolerance, but it's really, they, they want you to bend the knee to what, whatever they demand. And if you do, if you not in lockstep with them, and especially with like, um, the, the woke progressive crowd now, and maybe that's because they have so much power in society. Now, you know, they have the backing of the everything, you know, the corporate press, the big tech companies, the government, all of Hollywood, like, so now that they have the power, their idea of tolerance is like everybody else doing what they think is right. <laughs> and, I was going to uh, say the most fucked up thing about all of that is the, the ones who are, at least in modern society, the most against free speech and doing your thing and like legitimate tolerance are the progressives or the left, like the, the liberals who, by the very definition of the word liberal, should not at all be in favor of censorship or, or any of that stuff. But here we are. And, and like, they are the most ardent supporters of it. Uh, like, like the word liberal has been so twisted to what they have, because of what they've become. Like it's, it's a perversion of the way the system had been for, you know, at least yeah. decades, if not centuries. Yeah. They, they love to take good words and completely uh, pervert the meaning of them, but keep the word and be like, no, 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 I'm still tolerant. They're the least tolerant people on the face of the fucking earth. Like you can't even go remember, like, I don't know, like six, seven years ago, uh, like Ben Shapiro couldn't go to a campus and just give a talk to people that wanted to listen to him. It's just like, Hey, these guys want to do it. He wants to do it. Um, You're not allowed to, you, you just can't have that anymore. And um Man, that that seemed to be the beginning of the end, and it it really escalated quickly from there. There is a there's a really interesting book. Let me look it up real quick. It's uh it's called The Coddling of the American Mind, and the authors of the book that they look at cancel culture and they kind of look at where it all stemmed from. They look at the the Evergreen College thing. They look at like Shapiro and others going to college campuses trying to speak. And, and and these guys are like these guys are Democrats. They are not, they're not like Trump Republicans or anything like that. Like they are very probably more traditional Democrat, like actual eighties and nineties style Democrat than you know what the left has become today. But they're not you know they're not Republicans. They're not conservatives in any way. But a lot of what they point out throughout the book is like if you really look at these on a case-by-case basis like yeah you've got the charlie kirks and the ben shapiro's and you've got those situations where they go after really specific like conservative pundits or whatever but overwhelmingly like 85 to 90 percent of those cases are where it's the left eating their own like they go after somebody who is who is like a very out there leftist but they're not left enough or they say the wrong thing and then just completely get nuked from pop or you know from polite society because the left is so fucking rabid that if you even say one thing wrong 
that's it. They're done with you. Like they, they come for your throat. Yeah. Yeah. You have to agree with them 100% of the time on 100% of the topics and just agreeing with one person on a hundred percent of something is ridiculous. Like that idea. I mean, like you're married, you guys agree on everything. Absolutely not. And you fucking live together and you love each other. And it's like, I'm supposed to agree with like this mob of people on every single topic and just what, whatever they like this, I don't even know who's in charge of forming these opinions, but it's like, how are we supposed to agree on everything? And why can't we disagree, like respectfully disagree? What is wrong with that? And, and like the big problem is if you do agree with them on a hundred percent of everything today, give it an hour and a half and they'll have changed, you know, everything yeah and they'll just keep pushing like okay well now here's an even more ridiculous thing that you have to go along with they just keep escalating it uh so this week's uh counterflow buck talks to jack the perfume nationalist and they talk about that like how once like once the left gets something moved into normalcy then they pick something new and start moving that and into normalcy like it's uh it's this perpetuating game of finding something to be offended by until you can make it uh, just a part of normal society. And then as soon as that's done, then you find the next thing. Like they don't, there is no end to the bullshit. Yeah. It used to be like the thing of conspiracy theorists when the, the whole, um, you know, gay marriage thing was in the news and, you know, you'd have all these like really conservative people who are like, then they're going to like go after the kids and they're going to be like turning them into like transgendered kids and like preaching all this like sexuality stuff to them in school. And it's like, it sounded a little ridiculous at the time. And then you just watch it happen. And it's, it's just so weird to see the, the parallels between that for me and what government does with everything, because they come up with these ideas and they just like, you know, they put it in the most palatable way possible. It's like, oh, well, why shouldn't like the poorest among us have like X, Y, and Z? Or like, why shouldn't we, um, you know, monitor your bank accounts so that terrorists don't fly planes into buildings? And then it's like, they take that and now they want to monitor every bank account for $600 transactions. And it's just like, they're just going to keep going until they get all of it. If terrorists are funding their... uh activities off of my bank account yeah i need to right. know where the money's coming from <laughs> yeah. I, yeah i would like some of that <laughs> well it's like the, the funniest part about that was like all of this um all that like patriot act anti-money laundering stuff and the, the bank account monitoring the um it prevented a lot of like terrorists from like investing in like the biggest stock market bubble that ever fucking collapsed. <laughs> you know, it's like they avoided the whole housing market collapse and they were probably like invested in like gold and silver and shit that like fucking skyrocketed right after um, that whole collapse. So they probably protected a lot of their assets, if anything, and oil, you know, um, but I mean, is it outside the realm of possibility that 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 wasn't deliberate like let's let's make sure we insulate them we can't have them uh like they've got to be able to fund their terrorism they we can't have them participating in this, in this massive well, bubble if, that's about you know, even if they couldn't fund it equity. yeah even if they couldn't fund it themselves i'm sure our uh, cia would find a way to fund it for them um but yeah it's just you know it, it's i don't know what it is about just big groups of people and movements where 
it's just, it never seems to, there's no satiating them. They, they, um, it's like this ever, this everlasting thirst for increase of some sort. And I guess on an individual level, we all kind of have that, but the way that they direct it is so fucking deranged. You know, like one of the things I love about free market capitalism is like, yeah, we all want everything all the time we have unlimited demand for stuff but the only way you can actually get that is by helping somebody else get something that they want and and you know in a perfect world that works out really well but when you um when you start to force people to do things to get you what you want um and they go along with it and then it's just, it's, it's more and more for You're going to keep forcing them to do it until they put their fucking foot down. And you're just like, all right, that no more of this. And I don't know, I don't know what it is about um, the rest of society. That's so afraid of being shunned by the likes of these fucking lunatics that want to give, you know, hormone injections to, to their eight-year-old kids. Which all of that kind of brings us back around to the original topic of, secession and and kind of splitting it up because if you all right so if let's say it works let's say texas secedes that they're not going to be the only one and and I, i don't think i don't think texas would go alone like i think if texas seceded then oklahoma would probably be close behind like it wouldn't just be it's not just going to be one. There's going to be a whole bunch of a whole lot of that that happens very quickly. And which that's, you know, that's the big, I guess, uh, I guess that's the big thing that the federal government doesn't want to happen is you can't let it happen for one, because as soon as it happens for one, everybody else is like, yeah, all right, fuck this. Let's go to. Yeah. And I mean, you get out from under like, (laughs) an unbelievable amount of like crushing regulation and debt that's been piling up. But you know, um, if, if you remember like the whole Brexit thing, like the unbelievable amount of propaganda around that and like the whole, and the European Union, much younger than the United States, right? Uh, this is like a really fucking experiment that was in its infancy. And I remember going on like some of these, uh, some of these, like, I don't even know what you call them. They're like, apps on your phone or whatever but they're like they have a lot of like europeans on them and i I would see all these posts and stuff like making fun of like all the the britons that want to brexit like oh wait and see what happens to them it's going to be a total disaster and yeah it was going to be the end of civilized society as they knew it yeah so there's going to be just like a massive push from that and and all sorts of um you know, threats from the federal government that, well, well, you're going to lose this and you're going to lose that. We're going to take this away from you. And, you know, you just got to, you just got to tell them to go fuck themselves, I guess. (laughs) You're like, all right, keep your, keep your stuff. We'll we'll see how you do. And we'll see how we do. We can reevaluate this after like, I don't know, a 10 year period or something. And, And like one of the big arguments against secession is national security. If the, if the entire United States breaks up, then who's going to protect us? Like, uh, if you live in a red state, you're probably going to protect yourself. Like, there is li- there is literally no country on the planet that has intentions of invading Texas. Like, do you really want to get drug around behind trucks through the streets? Like, because that's what they're going to do. They have a history of doing that kind of shit. Like, you're, you're not showing up in Texas 
you know, trying to take over. Yeah. And, you know, I guess to like the average person who has no um, military experience or something like that, or it doesn't think about this stuff a lot. It's it seems kind of plausible. Like, oh yeah, we'll just go in there and take over these huge territories. But like, that was like one of the things why like, um, was it like Sweden was just able to stay out of everything because Hitler like couldn't, they weren't going to go like door to door kicking down houses to try to take over like every single thing in the country. It's just, it's really the, the risk to reward isn't there. It's expensive. It, it's hard to do. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially when you can just trade with them. <laughs> it's just like, and, and at this point, like, what's the threat? Like China, China, China has their own uh, economic and social issues right now. Like they are, they're not in a nation building mode. And even at the time when China was in a nation building mode in the, what was it, 14 or 1600, like, you know, 700 years ago, they got out, they tried to expand and they realized they didn't want to fuck with that stuff. They destroyed their entire naval fleet and and built a fucking wall and decided to stay home. Like, like China is not a country that is built on nation building and expansion. Like, Yes, they want Taiwan. They want Japan. They want to control the area that they control, and, and they don't want to have any opposition in doing that. But after that, they, they don't want to fuck with expansion or taking over territory. Not especially not something that's an ocean away. Like, what are they going to do with fucking California? We don't even want California. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, you know, it's just amazing how little we've learned from watching you know, thousands of years of history of like countries trying to do this. And, and we always think that, oh, this time it's going to be there. We can do it this time or something. You can't, you, you can't control people from halfway around the world that don't want to be controlled by you. Like it will bring you to your knees eventually. And maybe they've realized that. And, you know, even if they try it, people, you know, Texas will figure it out. You know, it's, it's not like, you know, the, the surrounding areas by Texas is like, Oh, well, the Chinese are just going to take Texas and we're just going to sit back and let that happen. We won't be next or anything. It's like, you can form a line. There's like a million different ways to, to handle that if it actually happened. But, and that yeah, brings I, us to the hunger game style districts. So there, there are go. going to, if it happens and maybe not even if, but when, but if, and when it happens, there are going to be alliances. So, so this is something that I think is an interesting conversation because like people will try to say, well, these states will go together and these states will go together. And the more you look at it, you, you really can't uh, like you really can't separate it on state lines. But so so what do you what do you think are some of the obvious natural alliances that would kind of form their own uh I kind of look at it as like if the United States broke up, it would ultimately become a like seven to 10 small, like European nation type countries within what is currently the United States. So thinking of it like that, what do you think would be some natural alliances that would form their own like little country? And you could even name it if you wanted to. You mean like, like between states yeah hang on do i have to pull up a map now and look at stuff (laughs) i i actually have a 
I'm, because I'm that nerd, I actually have a like split up colorized map where I, I drew lines and like these are the different areas. So I've thought way too much about this oh, probably. Can you, can you have that on your screen? Uh, I have to, I can get it, hang on. Cause yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, I can pull up a map here, but if you could share your screen, I could look at it, it might be a little easier. But yeah, you know, let's see. Have you ever seen those maps where they like, <laughs> they just jokingly label like each state based off of like what, whatever their favorite like fast food restaurant is or something? Yeah, yeah, those are hilarious. Yeah, it, it'd probably be something kind of like that. <laughs> like it, it just with the shared values thing. So it's like, but yeah, I mean, like even just within Texas, you have like a really varied population like there are some pretty liberal parts of texas that i i you know maybe they wouldn't um be on board with uh with you know with like i don't know west texas or uh, so like the <clears throat> one of the really obvious splits if you kind of look at especially if you look at uh like the way election maps and stuff go it is like california tends to be <clears throat> fairly blue. Like there are pockets in Northern California, they go, they go red, but for the most part it's blue. But if you look at like Oregon and Washington going up the coast, the further you get east of, you know, of that Pacific coast, the more red those states get. So like, like Washington and Oregon, I think there was even a, count, a county in, uh, Southern Oregon or like southwestern or east southeastern like tip of Oregon that had uh, that had like started filling out legislation or uh, like doing the paperwork or whatever to to uh, request that the state allow them to leave Oregon and join Idaho or something like yeah, like, yeah I mean there there does seem to be a lot of commonality between yeah like the the eastern half of, of like Oregon and Washington you got Montana Wyoming Idaho Utah Nevada and the, the Dakotas Nevada, like that whole area I mean it might as well just be one one state I know I'm sure the Dakotas will get pissed at me for that, but um, I, I don't know, like to, to the average person who doesn't spend a lot of time over there, you could probably just draw a big circle around like the middle of the, you know, the upper middle of America and just be like, yeah, that's the region. Well, and that's, uh, that's an interesting thing that I kind of get to looking at and thinking about whenever I've been sort of going through this in my, in my mind, like if it did break up, how would the breakup go? because there are a lot of major regional differences and like, like Florida for as, uh, for as red as what Florida, like the, the redneck perception of Florida, uh, it's not really that, it's not really that red and redneck because as you get further South, like Miami is extremely blue, uh, like the panhandle, yes, that is very, very red. But you know, for the rest of the, the rest of the country or the rest of the state, really doesn't necessarily reflect that. And, and every, I think Pete talked about this on one of his shows. Like every uh, state, even if it broke down, every state would ultimately have 
the massive blue pockets in the most urban right. areas that like aren't gonna all right now i gotta yeah. figure out how to share this thing um and you you know like places like florida and like california like these really big states you'll probably end up with a couple like really small countries in there <laughs> or like whatever um like you know you have like really small weird countries over there in in europe um it, even like the the bigger countries aren't the size of a lot of the the states in the us so yeah and there's just plenty of room for for everybody man it it just be so, it just makes so much sense to just break it off all right can you see it uh let me see hang on yes yeah i got it okay so so see kind of the way i split it up you know the the sec basically here is kind of obvious florida florida south carolina georgia mississippi alabama like Mm -hmm. obvious kind of alliance texas louisiana arkansas oklahoma and then kind of running into the southern part of New Mexico and Arizona, uh, especially because like Arizona or New Mexico, especially the more north you get, uh, it gets a little bit more blue, at least is my understanding. Um, and I think it's the same way in Arizona. So that's kind of, you know, a little bit of a seems like a natural alliance type of area. Then over here, you've got the the western half of Washington, Oregon, California, and then Nevada in the like Reno, Vegas, that side of the state, because Nevada is a lot more rural the farther you go east towards the mountains. So, you know, that seems like a natural kind of divide. Then we've got uh, basically the frontier states, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Utah, Colorado, uh, Seems like a kind of a natural. You got your Corn Belt, North mm-hmm. the the Dakotas, Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, and Missouri. And I kind of go back and forth on Minnesota uh, because, like, the closer to the lakes it is, it seems a lot more kind of blue. But uh, and then you know this whole area right here around the Great Lakes, I really don't know what the fuck to do with that. Because like Chicago is and and Michigan are not really representative of large swaths of Minnesota, Wisconsin, the Upper Peninsula. Like, yeah, you know, that that's one of those weird areas where it, it could be like this really, really, really small divides that would come in, and and instead of that all being like one thing, that could that could reasonably be two or three smaller uh independent yeah yeah because you can drive an hour and a half from chicago and be in some pretty uh rednecky parts of wisconsin (laughs) it's actually one of the uh one of the gun ranges i go to out there the winchester gun club hilarious man it's just like you you can bring like uh your your like liberal friends from chicago over there and they will have like culture shock and it's only 45 minutes away (laughs) Well, and that's like, so that's like the interesting thing about the the blue section here is because like Illinois, you know, as well as, any, as anybody who like has spent time in Illinois, the further you get away from Chicago, the more, the more rural and redneck Illinois is. Like if you can stay away from those really big metropolitan hubs, 
Illinois is not the terrible state that it's made out to be, but, but because it is pretty well run from Chicago, it becomes that uh, just based on numbers, which is, I mean, Illinois should be the prime example of why democracy fails. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it's such a, it's such a big fucking state, man. <laughs> like you can drive like eight straight hours South of Chicago and you're still in Illinois. You're basically at the, uh, you know, Southern Illinois university. Um, it's, uh, yeah. And it is very, like you wouldn't know that you were in Illinois unless you were looked around and saw the license plates. Um, you, you could very well just as easily be in Missouri or Indiana or something like that. Probably Kentucky. Yeah. That's like being from, cause I'm from this little part of Kentucky right here. And being that close to Illinois, like, and we, like, we play basketball games and football games against Illinois teams and stuff. And I mean, it's not, you know what Illinois is from the news <clears throat> because of all of the terrible policies that Illinois has and everything. But the entire state is run from Chicago, basically. Like that, it is the it is the prime example of the failings of democracy because an entire massive state is basically run by one little tiny speck right there. And like, yeah. And I'm fr- I'm from that little tiny speck. We don't think about the rest of Illinois at all. Like it doesn't exist. It doesn't come up in conversation. Not even like Springfield like, doesn't come up. We don't talk about it. It's not a thing. It's not even, you know, it's like that elevator scene from, uh, what was that show? The, um, the ad, was it the advertising show or whatever? And the guy's talking and he's like, I don't think about you. <laughs> Man, oh, Mad Men. That's like yeah. my favorite show ever. Like, yeah. Where the guy tells him all the things that he's, and I feel sorry for you. He's like, I don't even think about you. I don't think about you at all. And we don't, I, honestly, we don't. And it never comes, like, I don't see it talked about on TV or anything like that, unless there's like a potential tornado forming somewhere, you know, down there. And it's like, okay, yeah, whatever. It, it probably won't materialize into anything, but that's the only time it ever comes up in conversation. And yeah, they, they, they don't get any representation. I, I don't either living in that tiny speck, but yeah, that's, that's another just ridiculous notion that we're getting representation from these uh, politicians. But yeah, man, I, I actually kind of like your map. You drew this. I mean, I colored it all in. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, it, it makes a lot of sense to me, man. I, I can't find too many points of contention and it would make, uh, it would certainly like Pennsylvania is kind of the same as, as Illinois. Like it, it's considered this really blue state, but that's be, it's almost exclusively because of Philadelphia. And, and, and I lived around Philadelphia for a little over a year and yeah, it's fucking awful. But as soon as you start to drive West and you get into like the central part of Pennsylvania and, and over into the Western parts of Pennsylvania, it's very rural. It's not at all like, what you think of when you think of Pennsylvania, because most people, when they think of Pennsylvania, they think of Philadelphia, they think of uh, like around the, around the Trenton, New Jersey area and, and going up into towards New York. And like, yes, that, that entire portion of the state of Pennsylvania may as well be a suburb of New York, but 
like the rest of the state is extremely rural. There's a lot of farms. There's a lot of cattle. I mean, if you if you drive west across Pennsylvania with your windows down, you're going to smell cow shit consistently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it's just weird how like the just the geography of the like the terrain of the place just has like the, they share the values like you could take somebody from Wyoming with the same terrain as somebody in Pennsylvania. And for some reason, we all gravitate towards these places where it, we have these shared values. I don't know. Maybe it's just because you're so far away from people constantly. You know, like in a, in a city, like you're everyone's like in your face all the time. And, and so you, you feel like you have to be, you, you have to control everybody. I don't know. See, that, that brings up kind of an interesting, the kind of the shock factor of the 2016 election was the way Trump won. And the way Trump won was that there wasn't a lot of fanfare around it. Like nobody expected Nobody expected him, like the corporate press and, and all of that, they didn't even expect it to be close. Like It was like trending 80-20 in favor of Hillary on like every poll that they saw. Like everything that they, everything that they ran with all the time was just Hillary, Hillary, Hillary. It was like Trump didn't even fucking exist. And then the election happened and it wasn't, it wasn't like that at all. And so something that got talked about for a couple of years after that election was the the silent majority because there were a whole lot of people in those flyover states in the you know very rural areas that don't talk about this stuff that everybody forgets about because like 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 the yeah, Chicago and the rest of Illinois example like they don't we don't even fucking exist out here as far as any of their of those people are concerned and and then also the people who did get calls uh either didn't answer like when they were polled on stuff either they didn't answer the polls or they lied and said hillary when they weren't actually intending to vote for hillary or like so so it was like this big sweeping uh shock and all thing because they didn't see it coming because they forgot oh yeah there's like this there's a whole massive, yeah, there's this massive piece of the United States that actually fucking exists that we just completely ignore. Yeah. And the, the only time they care about you is when somebody that you voted for gets into power. And then all of a sudden you're getting some representation and they don't want that representation forced on them. And yeah, I, I get I understand that because we don't like it when they impose their ridiculous ideas on us. And so, yeah, I, I don't know how this hunger game thing would work. Would we still have to send representatives to go uh, fight each other? I don't know. By the time it all breaks down, my kids will be too old for that anyway. And, and I'll probably, I'll probably die in all the fighting. So I won't have to worry about it. It, it, it would, I bet you there'd be like, you know, we'd have like some sort of Olympics thing. It'd be like, <laughs> just, oh gosh, that would, wouldn't that be awesome? The, uh, <laughs> yeah a hunger game olympic like it wouldn't be we wouldn't be killing each other we, they'd just be competing in in sports and and stuff like that see that would be pretty awesome we we could actually have a uh like a instead of a national champion have a a uh, north american champion or whatever 
Yeah. Well, I can't say North American because then then we forget about Canada and Mexico. But the Hunger Games forgot about Canada and Mexico too. Like if you look at any of the Hunger Games maps, basically all of like even the ones that do kind of stretch it out beyond just the United States, like all of Canada just gets blotted out as wilderness and and all of Mexico and usually all of Mexico is underwater. So it's, they, they just they just wipe them off the off the map to begin with. It's like we're not even gonna fuck with them. So how many Hunger Games movies are there? There are four Hunger Games movies. There are three books. They, uh, they split the, the third book into two movies, which I hate that shit. Because uh, basically every, every big like book trilogy has ended up doing that. They, they'll split the last, the, last movie, or the last book into two movies, which is exclusively to make more money at the box office. At right. which, granted, all right, so I'm going to dive off into being a nerd again. Uh, the way The Hunger Games, the last book, kind of breaks down, it really does have a good, like, cutoff point where you could stop and say, okay, we're going to make a movie of this, the first half of the book, and then we're going to finish it out in another. Like, it, it did have a good breaking point that you could you could do that with it. And... And I did like the I liked the Hunger Games movies and books a lot um, because I am a nerd. Like I, I read all the books and then I watch the movie and I basically critique the movie based on the book. And like the the subtle changes and the the differences between the movie and the book, I understood from a just the perspective of trying to take something that. Uh, in written word goes into all of this like really graphic detail. And then you've just got to make that appear on the screen <laughs> and like without all of that detail and explanation that would require basically just a, a constant narration uh, that really takes away from a movie like that. So I understood like the reasoning for why they made some of the changes that they did. And I actually really liked them because they, they made it play well as a movie. Uh, but yeah, like the ideas that that a lot of that uh, series got into with, and I mean, you could look at it. What it all boiled down to was uh, government corruption. Government corruption at the highest levels, uh, like the Met Gala, was everything that you saw in the Hunger Games movie with these balls at the Capitol. Like, fucking society is going in this direction really, really fast, and and. Like how can I don't understand how people can watch and read The Hunger Games and Be for Vendetta and Utopia and some of these other like works of fiction and not and not look at it and say, holy fuck, that's what's happening right now. Like 1984, Brave New World. Like, yeah, it's, it's the society that we're living in. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy how prescient they are. It's um, man, like some of those. I mean, some of them like really miss the mark, but yeah, the ones that hit it, um, it even just like, I used to think it was ridiculous when you'd see these like futuristic movies and everybody's wearing like the exact same colored jumpsuit. <laughs> like, I don't know. We might be going there because like your outfit offends somebody. Well, and, I mean, that's, uh, around the same time as the matrix came out, there was also a disease. Huh? 
<laughs> Got to wear it for COVID purposes. Outfit. <laughs> well, around the same time that uh, The Matrix came out, there was also a movie called Equilibrium with Christian Bale. And it was set in a like a post-apocalyptic type future where uh, everybody took these, everybody had these pills that they had to take. And it was basically like a mood stabilizing pill so that nobody would have any emotions or feelings. And it was, I mean, it was a system of control. Like the people who were, who were considered like the bad guys by society were the people who didn't take their pills and chose to live like outside of the cities out in uh, like the wilderness and just have feelings and emotions and read yeah. books and make Enjoy shit. And work. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great movie, man. That was, and, you know, it really, um, what really crystallized it was when Australia started shooting a bunch of fucking dogs because, or because um, they didn't want people to come pick them up because of COVID. And, and like, dude, that puppy dog scene in, in uh, Equilibrium. Man, yeah. That, like, I, I, It's hard to watch, man. But that, I mean, that's like, it, it's unbelievable what they've been able to get people to go along with in such a short period of time. And I don't know, maybe like there was just a whole bunch of, you know, a hundred years worth of conditioning that went into it that we didn't really notice. And then all of a sudden you can just fucking flip that switch on. But man, it's, uh, we're getting pretty close. Like who they're, they're coming out. I talked about it on the last podcast, you know, Pfizer's coming out with the, or they're testing this prophylactic pill to, as like a preventative measure for COVID and pretty soon, you know, once they get approval for that, it's not a big stretch to have that be like a mandated thing. You got to take your daily prophylactic vitamin. So nothing bad happens to you. And then, you know, who knows what, <laughs> who knows what they can put in there, man. I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, we're hitting a kind of a scary point of the uh, gosh. I mean, it's, it's the medical industry, which, you know, that's like, that's like the low key thing that no, nobody really, everybody knows about uh, like the big, some of the big lobbies in, in Washington, like the gun lobby, the tobacco lobby, the oil lobby, or, you know, the energy sector, the, the weapons manufacturers, you know, the, the military industrial complex, like everybody knows about those and they know that they're big and that they're evil or what the fuck ever. But the one that gets like no attention paid to it and is like leaps and bounds, the largest, like not even close is the pharmaceutical lobby. Like the pharmaceutical companies fucking run Washington, uh, and how yeah. is how has nobody in the last you know two years taken a step back and said, hey, uh, maybe the fact that these pharmaceutical companies have literally been running this country for twenty years might be a fucking problem. And if, if you look at where we are right now, like it's not about health, it's not about safety, it's not about any of that bullshit. It's about what makes them the most money. Yeah. And, it, you know, and it's so sad because like some of the people that were kind of good on this issue, like on the left, you know, like the Bernie Sanders of the world that would rail against, you know, all these pharmaceutical profits and the expensive medication and hospital bills and stuff like they could sense that something was wrong, but they still can't really put their finger on what the actual problem is. And the problem is obvious. You don't want government intertwined with any of these industries 
they they destroy everything from our perspective from their perspective it's wonderful they get everything they could possibly want more money than they can possibly know what to do with they get taken out to these big fancy dinners and they have these balls and they get to dictate whatever they want to the rest of us and you know they're they're living high on the hog the rest of us are just getting fucking trampled. We can't afford any of these medications. And all they have to do is pay lip service to it every once in a while. Like, oh, these uh, these big pharmaceutical companies are making too much money. We're going to tax them. It's like, okay. But you're also going to force another, you know, couple trillion dollars into their uh, pocketbooks before you tax them a little bit more. Right. Um, in, the same, get- in the same bill that they raise taxes on the pharmaceutical company, they also turn around and build 17 new loopholes for how they can avoid those taxes and also how they can go about charging you more money for the shit that they were providing to you for uh, a lot less money just five years ago. Right. Yeah. They, you're coming up with the, the new version of the, the horse dewormer and um, charging out the ass for that. And yeah. And oh, by the way, also buried in that bill is this thing that says that we can uh, monitor all your bank accounts for $600 transactions. <laughs> It's like, who, who do you think they're going after when they're going as low as $600 this day and age too, with all the, especially with all the inflation that's coming. I mean, $600 is going to be like a cup of coffee and a donut pretty soon. And that's what they're going to be fucking monitoring for. They're not going after Pfizer. Okay. They don't give a shit about Pfizer. Pfizer is paying their fucking tab everywhere they go. Um, it, it got, it's just, it, it's so disgusting and just unbelievable how how easily these people can be molded and, and shaped and quickly they forget about everything that they were for or against like 10 minutes ago. Um, it, I, I, I'm still just like flabbergasted by this whole thing. And um, it, it, it's to happen in the span of like a year and a half. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Secession and... Uh... National divorce seems like the only way at this point, because there's there's no way that there's no way that this entire country is going to agree on anything from here on. It's it's time to break up. And it would. Yeah, it would be the best for everybody involved. We can all pursue the things that we want to pursue. We can have even just like the, the, the media companies, you know, you wouldn't just have the, you know, the, the big like three or four, whatever, like cable news networks anymore. Um, not that a lot of people are, are still watching those for their cable news, but like there, there wouldn't be as much pressure for that. You know, you wouldn't have these narratives that just sweep over the entire country at once. Um, it, it would be much harder to, to get, everybody on board with their agenda which would be another great thing you you wouldn't be caught up in all these fads that are absolutely ridiculous um and a lot of stuff would a lot of stuff would really naturally kind of sort itself out like if that happened if the country did break up like that like cnn is headquartered out of atlanta right now if if that part of the country you know the like kind of the way i had broken it down florida georgia mississippi alabama South Carolina, like if that kind of became its own country, like you could see the way just based on the, the general politics of most of the, that geographic area, CNN's going to get the fuck out. Like they wouldn't, they wouldn't hang around. They wouldn't have any reason to like, except for like metropolitan Atlanta, 
there would be no reason for CNN to be in that part of the country. So, you know, they'd end up, they'd end up bugging out the same for like Fox or whatever. They would probably relocate to that Southern part and be primarily servicing the Texas region and that, you know, SEC region. Uh, it, It would kind of, it would, everything would decentralize and it would break down into more of a, natural grouping of these areas are going to get what they actually need and what the people of these areas actually want, as opposed to this all encompassing thing that only works for very small pockets and everybody else just has to deal with it. Yeah, man. It's, it's weird that it's, it's something that like hasn't occurred to a lot of people. And we we do this all (laughs) over the world, like the whole, like, Israel Palestine thing is because we drew these fucking lines in and we forced people into places where they didn't want to be. And it, you know, it just it, the solution to this is like the solution to everything is just freedom, but it, it's so easy. It could be so simple and everyone's like, Oh, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? It's like, listen, man, we're going to figure it out. Things just get worked out. And I know that that's one of the, the least appealing parts of libertarianism is like but that's the whole point like i don't know how to organize society no group of people knows how to organize society and make decisions for millions of people we're gonna let you do that and we're gonna fit like people are figure things out i mean how we figured things out how did we get to this point we, we figured stuff out isn't it um, funny that the ones that push the hardest against any kind of decentralization, any kind of secession, any kind of, you know, national divorce or breakup or whatever, are the ones that are the furthest on the left that have the most invested in having dictatorial control over everything. Like, that should be everything you need to know about why secession and, and national divorce are the way forward, because the ones who are most opposed to it are the ones who have the most to gain by it not happening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's inherent in their, you know, it's the logical conclusion of their philosophy is like, you have to force people into this system. Otherwise it's not going to work. I guess we don't have to tell them that their ideas will fail. We can just let them fail on their own, but they can, they can certainly try. Um, Do your, do your own little experiment over there in California. I don't mind if if they want to try and, and if they fail, yeah, I just really don't want to be drugged down with them when they do. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, we shouldn't be like forcing anybody to, to live a life that they don't want to live. And, um, you know, there's, there has to be some place for people to go. Um, and, and if they're will, you know, I would be willing to relocate to a, an area that had more, more Liberty, more people that were, of a similar mindset that just wanted to mind their own business and let me do my thing and not, you know, just get in the way of everything. Uh, I I just don't, anybody that supports government just has not had enough um, interactions with them, I guess. Because I I don't see how you look at anything the federal government does. And I've never gotten a satisfying answer to this question, but like, how are they doing so far? Like they they keep talking about all this stuff they're going to do. How are they doing so far with the stuff they've already promised you? And how have your interactions been with any of their entities? Like everything they touch is a goddamn disaster. And everything you do 
they're there uh, every step of the way. They're like a silent partner, but they don't do any of the work. They don't help you with any of like the hard stuff. They're just there to reap the rewards from everything that you do. If anything, they're an impediment. They, they put up all these roadblocks. Uh, you can't do that. And before you have to do that, you got to go down and pull this permit. You got to do this and you got to grease these palms and fuck that, man. They're, they're the worst partner of all time. Um, we should break up with them and then we should break up with all these states that want to fucking force them on us. I don't know what else to say, man. It's like, this has been the, one of the worst experiences of um, anybody's life is being ruled by the federal government. Amen. I, that is, I think that's, that's probably the perfect way to wrap, honestly, because I mean, that sums the whole thing up. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. That nailed it. Hit it right on the head. Well, Johnny, thank you very much for doing this. I, I had a lot of fun and hopefully you learned a little bit about some of the nerdy cultural stuff like hunger games yes. and, yeah. yeah, I learned I learned a lot actually because I knew almost nothing. So <laughs> I have to get you reading more fiction. Oh God, I don't read any fiction. I'm I'm a big nonfiction guy. <laughs> you got um, to work on that. There's a there's a lot of value in fiction. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just I don't know. I, I guess I, I like the, I like to watch fiction. I just don't like to read it. Um, I don't know. I guess that works. I feel like I should be reading. I should be learning something that actually um, is real. <laughs> I guess I, I get no, that. There, uh. are, there are definitely less, like I shouldn't say that because we already talked about the lessons that can be gleaned from a lot of these fiction works that turned out to be a lot um, less fiction than they had maybe originally planned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there's definitely lessons in there and it is entertaining, so. Well, yeah. throw out your handles and plug everything and we'll call it a wrap. You probably know them better than I do. Uh, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. Uh, the big thing I'm working on right now is this event we're having in December in, down here in Mexico, which is where I'm at right now. December 10th through the 12th, we are going to have a libertarian event called the Sayulita Super Spreader. It's going to be me. We got uh, Clint from Liberty Lockdown. We got Buck from Counterflow. He's going to be there. Michael Rechtenwald, the, the professor, the author who was, uh, did an episode of my podcast, Once Upon a Time. He's going to be there to give a talk. Uh, Martha Bueno, who's also on the podcast, who's uh, running for uh, a seat in Miami. I forget which. Uh, she's in the big county, right? Yeah, she's in Dade, Miami Dade. I can't remember what she's running for either. Um, But she'll be there to tell us. (laughs) So there will be actually one woman there for all of you uh, gentlemen out there. I know our numbers are skewed in one direction. I know for a fact there will actually be at least three or four women there. So yeah, yeah. Outside of just Martha. So see, we we are drawing women in. Yeah, we're trying. We're definitely trying. Um, oh, Robbie the Fire, Bernstein, the uh, COVID Jesus. <laughs> He's going to be there to do some stand-up and uh, a live episode of Run Your Mouth. And last but certainly not least is uh, Mark Clare from the Lions of Liberty. He actually just moved down here to Mexico City, so he's only a couple hours away from me. And uh, he's going to be joining us as well. So I- I'm really excited. we got a great group of, uh, of podcasters and people, special guests there. Um, it's going to be a ton of fun. 
Um, so yeah, go to Sayulita superspreader.eventsmart.com. You can get your tickets there and don't drag your feet on this. Cause it is coming up in like what, two and a half months, something like that. Yeah. And it's going to be gotta, December. I got to book my plane tickets. Yeah. Uh, buy your tickets, book your plane tickets. There's some information on the site there for, for traveling purposes, but yeah. Um, I will facilitate uh, a lot of the travel once you get into Mexico to make it easy on everybody. And um, yeah, that, that's, that's the big thing. I want to, I want to have a big crew there and I want this to become a regular thing that we do. Um, and just, you know, it, it's going to be like hopping in a time capsule back to 2019 Hell <laughs> yeah! with beautiful weather, beautiful beaches, beautiful people and delicious food. So hell yes. All right. All right. Thank you, Johnny. I'll talk to you later. It was a lot of fun.